Psalm 107, we're going to read together, beginning at verse 1 down through verse 15. Psalm 107, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness, such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of the Lord of God and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of the darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Amen. We trust the Lord will bless his word to us for Jesus' sake. This morning particularly, I want us to think on those words that are found in verse 9. And even more so, I want us to think particularly on the words that he filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Before we go any further, though, let's ask the Lord to meet with us for Jesus' sake. Lord in heaven, now we would pray that thou wouldst bless the word of God. We pray that thou wilt let it be that which is used of the Spirit of God to direct our hearts and minds to thy feet. May we hear thy voice. May we heed thy message. O God, may we find it working within us and doing that end to which thou dost send the word, even to draw us unto thyself to make us more like Christ, to allow us to rejoice in him and to be equipped to be able to serve. Oh, God, we pray for a blessing today. We pray for a meeting with our God. We pray that thou will undertake for our poor hearts. Lord, we pray that thou will hear us as we perhaps are well characterized by these who are mentioned that in their distresses, in their troubles, they cried to the Lord. Lord, we all have indeed within our hearts needs of soul and of mind and of body and of heart. Lord, hear us as we would call upon thee, our God. Come and meet with us. Come and supply for us. Come and take us up with thyself. Oh, may we find the answers for our soul's needs in the person of the Lord Jesus himself. 
Lord, I pray that you will help me now as thy servant direct thought and word. For we do pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. This morning I'm going to be speaking on what we are entitling The Hungry Filled with Goodness. I would point out to you that four times in Psalm 107 is the exclamation made, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Each time surrounding the exclamation is a recounting of the Lord's works of providence and care. His providences are not only that which meets the needs of his people, but we find here also that they are said to be of an extremely superlative nature. There are no works like the Lord's works. There is no care like the Lord's care. Now I will mention to you, just as a side here, that the Lord's providences can be described in three ways principally. The Lord's works are particularly singular. There are no works that can be compared to the Lord's works. They are works that meet the design and purposes of God specifically. They are indeed particularly singular. I would also present to you that the providences of God are preeminently satisfying. That when the Lord does his work, those that are the recipients of the working and helpings and deliverances of God are not those who say, oh, I wish it could be better. I wish we could have more. No, when the Lord does his work, it does a work of satisfaction for the people who are the recipients thereof. And then third, I would say this, that the providences of God are perfectly successful. All that God purposes and promises are done. And they are done just right. They completely succeed in all that God means for them to do. And so you have in light of all the providences, this exclamation that is made over and again throughout the psalm. And I'm going to paraphrase it because I think this is perhaps in some ways what the psalmist is saying to us. Oh, that men would have the wit to praise God for how he cares for the unfit and the unfaithful. Oh, that men would have the wits. That men would have within them enough understanding to realize where their deliverances come from, why they come, who's the one that is indeed undertaking for them. Now, I want to point out that there is a word in each of these four calls to praise the Lord that is particularly noteworthy. It is a word that colors and describes 
the providences of God. It is also a word that presents the infinitely perfect character of the providences and the providential cares of God. Oh, that that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. Goodness. I say this is the word that is written over all of the providences of God. Goodness. There is the word. We are to praise particularly because the Lord's care is only goodness. There is nothing but goodness in all of his care. There is never an instance of care that is not entirely good. Now we must stop and quickly note that good and goodness are not to be understood as what we could say always puts a smile on our face. If that happens, it's good. If that doesn't happen, then it's not good. Don't let your mind be taken with that. When it says that our Lord performs these things in goodness, that they are only goodness, is a statement that that which is performed is absolute holiness. The character of what the Lord does is absolutely holy. There are no faults or bitter ways about it or comes from it. His care leads to everlasting benefits, which may or may not be comprehended, at least in this life. But his care is pure and it is dispensed from a heart that loves Really, I'm going to take a second and say, read the morning by morning segment that's in your bulletin today. The Lord loves and he loves freely, meaning there's never a condition. There is never a reason that is found in the recipient of the Lord's love that brings the Lord's love, fashions the Lord's love quantifies the Lord's love or prevents the Lord's love. Now, coming back to our thought, our text says that the Lord fills the hungry with goodness. This means that the Lord feeds those that are hungry in whatever way needed to satisfy their hunger. In other words, we could say the Lord is our supplier. He is our sustainer. He is the one that furnishes our table. But I will stress to you, it also would mean that he himself is that which satisfies the longing and hungry soul. Now, I want us to think upon this for a moment this morning, the image that the Lord suggests for us, and that image is the feeding of the hungry. And I am going to suggest this as my subject, that only the Lord can feed the hungry and longing soul so that there is a fullness of satisfaction. Only the Lord. The satisfaction of your heart and your soul comes from no place but from the Lord himself. So I want us to develop that thought and hear and heed the Lord's 
own call to us that we would be those who would praise. That we would be those who offer thanks for the goodness of our God with which he feeds our souls. So I want us to think again on this call to praise. And first I want you to see with me the reason. The reason. The reason that we have for praise is that the Lord feeds with goodness, yes, but he also feeds to the satisfaction of our soul. He fills the hungry soul. He fills the hungry soul with goodness. I imagine when I first read that text of a picture of goodness being served in portions as parts of a meal, each part satisfying some different need that the saint may have. But as I continue to think, oh, I want us to think of this as a whole. The goodness of our God. That which we find from his own heart. And I want us to think on a couple of pictures. You know, throughout the scripture, we can literally see the Lord feeding the people of God. And we can note a unique way in which each displays the goodness of God. And that the goodness proves to be just what is needed. You think about the Old Testament. The Lord fed his people with manna. That was supplied of God and it proved to be that which maintained life, but also served as a unique proof of the care of the Lord. Manna did not come because of some physical or seasonal thing that we find in nature. Manna was supplied by the hand of God, particularly every day that it was supplied. And then every seventh day it was not supplied. How can you explain this other than the fact that this is a proof of the Lord caring for his people? I would also have you understand this too. It's sort of a unique uh, situation here. You know, the only people who ever ate manna were the people of God. The only people who ever were able to glean manna were those who were the people of God. None of the people in the land in which Israel wandered were able to pick up the manna. It was for the people of God alone. Proof of the Lord's care. Now, I'm going to say this. I'm going to put this into a context. Here you have the Lord proving what I am calling covenantal care. Covenantal care in contrast to general care. You know, the scripture tells us that the Lord cares for mankind generally, the creation generally. He sends the rain. He sends the warmth of the sun. He brings the different things to bear in a general sense. There is a way in which men are cared for generally. But the point that's being made here is that when the Lord satisfies his people, it's not based on just his general benevolence to what he has created. It is a covenantal situation. The Lord has bound himself. The Lord has promised certain things to his people. And in the basis of these things, the Lord provides for his people. It is pictured in the Old Testament. I wanted to, the, the thing that came to my mind right off as I was thinking about this were the three instances particularly that we note in the New Testament, in the Gospels of the Lord feeding. In fact, in the New Testament, 
There are three instances that I want to note that there probably are some others that maybe you can think of, but these were the ones that came to my mind. And to think about perhaps what they prove. First, you perhaps remember with me the Lord Jesus fed the 5,000. Consider the situation. The people had been following the Lord Jesus, listening to him, noting and experiencing his ministry of healing, but also of teaching. And they had been with him for some period of time. And now these people were out of food and the day was far spent, as the scripture says. And the Lord Jesus looks on these people, 5,000 men added, adding to that women and children. And he says he has compassion and he would not send them away. I would say to you this, that this picture proved that the Lord's care was seen in an immediate, but also satisfying fulfillment of the need. Sometimes the care of our God is in an outward way that is essential to sustaining life. The Lord met the needs of these people in a very outward way, and it satisfied. In fact, the question was asked of the Lord as he told his disciples to have the people sit down. In Mark chapter 8, verse 4, it says, And his disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? How can the need be satisfied for all these people? Well, it says also the Lord knew what he was going to do. And so... He takes what is offered to him in the most insignificant way, uh, the little boy's lunch. And he blesses it. And he turns that which no one would ever consider much of a meal into that which was fully satisfying to all that were there. In fact, I will put this forward, that the people that experienced what the Lord did that day were so satisfied that heaping baskets were taken up. You could imagine, perhaps the disciples would walk through the host. Uh, would you like some more? Would you, can, you, can, you, can you have some more? And it was the response of all that day, no, I'm stuffed. I, I've had all that I can have. And so they, as scripture says, they took up 12 baskets I had a question immediately come to my mind uh, last evening as I was thinking on this. I wonder what they did with the leftovers. Well, you know the disciples didn't take it because the disciples went and got in the boat. And the Lord Jesus comes to them and he starts talking to them about the leaven of the Pharisees. And the, their comment was, well, he's saying this because we have no bread. In other words, they did not take. You can just imagine that the Lord Jesus would say, okay, everybody's full. We're going to dispense this out. You maybe could say... He, I'm just imagining. You could maybe have said to the little boy, um, take some of this home to your mom. Thank you for letting us use your lunch. Take some of this home along with you. All of that's a side point. The point that I'm trying to stress to you is that the Lord Jesus fed them that day with fish and bread. 
but mostly he fed them with goodness. He fed them with his grace and his mercies. He undertook for their needs. What was seen that day? I would suggest to you this. It was the shepherd feeding his sheep. The Lord meets an immediate need. And you and I can take that as a lesson. When we have immediate needs, we can come to our God. He has the ability to meet those to the utter satisfaction to the point where we say, I'm stuffed. <laughs> Lord, you've completely met my need. And there's some left over. The goodness of our God. There was another instance in Scripture that I thought of, and that's when the Lord Jesus comes along the seashore and he sees the disciples out in their boat. They had been fishing all night, and the Scripture says that they had caught no fish. So I would have to say you could perhaps fly the banner in their boat. Failures! Here were a bunch of failures. Now you think about what happened in the days before this incident, and you'd have to say their failure was even greater than the not catching fish. Some were deniers of the Lord. Some were scared of the Jews and had fled. Some were cowering in an upper room deciding uh, what's better here for us to face the Jews or maybe flee. Failures! And the Lord comes and said, children, have you any meat? And they have to say, no. No. They were unsuccessful in every way. But what happens? The Lord tells them what to do. And then the Lord fills their boats with fish. You have to say, well, this was not only a great catch, but this was something that supplied for their need. You think about these men being fishermen. They would sell these fish, and the income would be that which supplied for their families. The Lord filled their boats. But then he says to them, come and dine. Come and dine. The Lord is going to feed the hungry. He's going to feed the failures So he invites them to a fire where they, there is fish and bread. Once again, fish and bread. And I say here, the Lord Jesus feeds him, but the fish and the bread was not the menu. There was rather a healthy meal of reconciliation. The Lord fed them with his goodness to the point where their hearts, though they had failed the Lord Jesus, were reconciled, particularly Peter. You know what happens. The Lord asks Peter the three questions and so forth. And I would suggest to you that often the bread of our meal from the Lord is a matter of heart and not at all a matter of supplying for the stomach. I was thinking, just as I was sitting in my office last night, thinking about this, I think... Uh, you know, I would not necessarily have to say I'm a great fan of eating coal-baked fish and bread like perhaps was offered then. But, you know, I would have liked to have tried that. 
that morning when the Lord said, come and dine, and that which the Lord prepared, whatever the fish was he had, whatever the bread was he had, I would have liked to have tried that. But more so, I think I would have liked to have experienced what was seen in the heart of the Lord Jesus, the goodness that was seen in him to these men that you would have to say were failures in all ways. They were hungry, but their hunger was a product of their own failure of God. Is that something that maybe we can say, you know, that kind of describes me too. The Lord fills the hungry with goodness. In fact, I almost skipped on from this point, but then a, a word came to me, a thought came to me. Joel chapter 2. There's some scriptures there that kind of describe this situation. Describe what happens for all of us when the Lord Jesus calls to us, though we have failed him, though we have sinned, though we have been unfaithful, he calls to us and says, come and dine. Come and be reconciled. Joel chapter 2, verse 25, And I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you. In other words, the Lord can make a man miserable, make him hungry, make him need to have the Lord's touch. Verse 26, And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And the praise and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. You and I rightly should be ashamed of our unfaithfulness and of our failures for Christ. But when the Lord Jesus reconciles us, not only does he take away the guilt, but he relieves the shame. He feeds the hungry. And then, of course, you have the third thing I'm going to point to, and that is the upper room. You had the feeding of the 5,000. You had the come and dine statement there. But you also have the upper room. And there you see the Lord himself blessing breaking the bread and then feeding the disciples. He tells them specifically, take, eat. You'd have to admit it was a very heartful time where you see the love of Christ completely before you, undoubtedly. But I also say not only was it a heartful time, it had to have been a distressing time for the Disciples, they didn't know how to take what the Lord was saying. They didn't know how to respond to what the Lord was doing. This is evident because they all said, Oh, we're going we're gonna to die for, with you. They didn't know how to respond. What they saw and heard of the Lord was wondrous indeed. Think of that room. The Lord Jesus first washes their feet. Then he speaks those words that we have written for us in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. John 15, I am the, uh, the vine, ye are the branches. 
going on through John 16, John 17, where you have the great prayer of the Lord. Father, I will the day whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Imagine how it would have been for you to be there and hear these things. What would it have been like to hear the Lord pray? What would it have been like to hear a, a hymn or to sing a hymn with the Lord himself leading the song? I say that there was a feast on the goodness of God, the goodness of Jesus Christ that night. But here, as seen in every other instance, the goodness was feasting on the Lord himself. That was particularly to be understood in this last incident. This is my body which is broken for you. This is the blood which is shed for you. The goodness of our God is not just the general benevolence of God. It is the Lord himself. The Lord satisfies your heart, child of God, with himself. With his coming to you, speaking to you, presenting to you his wondrous works. The things that he has done for you to deliver you. Can any one of us who is truly saved this morning say, it was nothing other than a miracle that God saved me. He satisfies the hungry soul with his own goodness, the goodness of his person. I think this is what Paul is stressing to the Ephesians. When he says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 19, And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. There's where your heart is going to be satisfied, child of God. Your heart will not be satisfied by anything else. It will not be fed by anything else. It will not be filled up by anything else but the person of the Lord your God. It will not be in circumstances playing out a certain way. It will not be by the things that you accomplish or the things that you somehow attain. It is the goodness that we find in the heart of our God. That's the reason. I want us to, set, to note, secondly, the resistance. To, of course, we would all respond positively to this. No, 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 no. I want you to understand that the tone of the psalmist's words in these four exclamation points in this psalm is that men, though finding the Lord to feed them with goodness, Resist the truth and refuse to praise. Oh, that men would praise. I think you have an indication there that the psalmist is saying that men are not doing so. And more than that, they don't wish to do so. Oh, if a man really saw the providence of God, if a man ever saw the true proof of God's goodness. He couldn't do anything else but praise. Oh, really? Think about the children of Israel. After a while, while they gathered manna, what did they start doing? We are sick of this and we don't know where it comes from and we're just not really sad. Oh, that we wish we could go back to Egypt because they had leeks and onions. You know, if there was a reason why I would want to go back to Egypt, it wouldn't have been for leeks and onions. 
And then they say, oh, we wish we had meat to eat. And the Lord brings a cloud of quail. And you can just see the children of Israel setting on them. Oh, this is wonderful. Quick, quick, get the spit going. Let's get it. We're going to roast some of these things. And while the meat was between their teeth, the Lord allowed a plague to come. Men do not look at the goodness of God and readily say, this is a wondrous thing. I am so grateful. I will praise the Lord my God. Psalm 81, verse 15. Again, speaking of what the Lord would have done. But then talking about the people that he's dealing with. Psalm 81, verse 15. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves unto him, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat and honey out of the rock. Should I have satisfied thee? But what was the response? No. No. The finest of the wheat. Now, what does that mean? Really, it means this is no second-rate meat, a uh, wheat. There are no additives. When you ate this wheat, it spoiled you for any other. The finest of the wheat. Beyond that, I would have to suggest that this was the best-growing wheat. Some of you who have lived in wheat territory would say, you know, there are a few things in nature that are exceedingly beautiful. Sunsets, oceanscapes, snow-capped mountains with beautiful lakes below. Whereas our country's patriotic song describes an amber waves of grain. The ocean of wheat. Could you imagine? The Lord would have satisfied them with wheat that was so perfect, so wonderful, so full. They would have had the sight of the ocean of wheat, as it were. But they wouldn't. They wouldn't. And then he goes on to say, I would have satisfied you with honey out of the rock. Pure and sweet. You can taste differences in honey. We have a gentleman here who used to keep bees. And you can tell what a bee eats will determine how the honey tastes. Uh, down in the south, there are a number of different types of honeys. And you can tell the differences on them because of the season and what the bees have been eating. One of my favorites is sourwood honey. There's another one called tupelo honey. Um, anyway, the Lord is saying, I would have satisfied you with the honey prepared of God. Imagine that. Here's the goodness of our God. The mercies, the compassion, the heart of our God. And there are men that say, no. No. I don't want that. I think the truth of the matter is that all men will react that way until they know that they're hungry. The hungry have to know that they are hungry before the Lord's goodness will ever bring them to the place of praise. You think about the prodigal. He had to come to the place of being hungry before he came to his senses. You know, even junk food can keep a man from being hungry. It can deaden his hunger. That doesn't mean that he's doing well. 
There, are, there is junk food in this world that sometimes men will eat, as it were, and it seems to satisfy. And just keeps them in their deadness. But despite this, despite this, even the resistant have the goodness of God extended. You say, huh? What? Where's that? Psalm 68, verse 18 mentions this. Indeed, speaking of the Lord Jesus in prophetic words, thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. Yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them. The Lord supplies his goodness. That goodness is evident. It is there by the hand of God, even for a people who are rebellious. But again, I would say a man has to be made willing well, how is a man made willing? Romans 9 and 16. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. The goodness of mercy, of God's mercy, even comes to those of us who in our rebellion know the overruling, gracious, omnipotent work of God. That though we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God hath quickened us together in Christ Jesus, the Lord comes and he overrules even the stubbornness of our own hearts. Praise the Lord. And he makes us alive when we were dead. Again, praise the Lord. And he plants within us that hunger that all we find. The only thing that will satisfy us now is Jesus. That's all of God. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, I'm going to conclude by pointing you to the reality the reality what do we look for since our God is that one who fills us he fills a hungry soul with goodness what can we expect from the hand of our God as those of us who are trusting in Christ I say there really is just one thing that I'm going to point to, though there are hundreds that could be added. Think with me on the very last verse of Psalm 23. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. This goodness this mercy, this free gift of, the God, of our God's love is something that the Lord will never take from us. He'll never say to us, no, you have eaten up all your portion. You know, you had so much and you were greedy and you ate it all up so there's no more goodness for you. No, that is not ever the case. The mercies and goodness of Christ will not end. They go on and on. We will continue to know them 
because Jesus Christ ever lives, is seated at the right hand of God pleading for them. In fact, the scriptures tells us that the mercies of our God are new every morning. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it, the scripture says. There is no ending to the benefits of our God to those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are the covenantal people of God. Think of it this way. No goodness of God is ever a temporary thing. It cannot be. The purposes of God are eternal. And goodness, the goodness of our God, which is tied in inextricably to himself, is that which will last for us. It'll last as long as the one who is good lasts. He filleth the hungry soul with goodness. We can take a step back and say, are we hungry today? What can we expect? So, what's the, what's the application? What am I calling on you to do? What, what is it that we need to all take in hand, ourselves in hand about? Well, first, let's heed what the Lord says for us. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness. Are you praising the Lord your God is it a habit with you to praise the Lord your God? That's why you're here. What is man's chief end? Why are you here? To praise your God, to give glory, to give thanks, to acknowledge your God. You know, when you acknowledge and you praise your God, there's an accompanying work with that, and that is the putting under of your own selfish flesh you're here to praise. Oh, that the Lord would make us to be a people that have that as a habit. Secondly, I would say this. If you know that the Lord's goodness is ever there and that it is that which fills your soul, then it ought to prompt you then to plead. Plead. Oh, my God, I know that thou art good. In all thy ways thou art righteous and holy altogether. You will work that after the counsel of your own will, which is according to your purposes and is for me good. Lord, let me see good. Good in bringing me to yourself. Good in supplying the needs that I have in my life, the immediate needs, like those 5,000. Good in reconciling me to yourself. Doing a work within my heart that leads me back to yourself, like those that were on the side of the seashore. Those that can hear then in sweet communion those things that thou dost tell me of yourself that causes me to go on with you and to know your love. Lord, I plead, let me see and know the goodness, the covenantal goodness of my God that thou hast promised in Christ Jesus. And then I will say this, child of God since this is the way that you are called 
to rest. Rest. Don't let your heart go worrying. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God that passeth understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You are to rest in who your God is. You are not to rest in how you see things playing out. Let me tell you something. You are never going to be able to interpret the affairs of this life correctly. You cannot see every, every aspect of the expanding rings of the stone in the pond, so to speak. You can't understand them. You don't have the wit. Nor do you understand the eternal purposes of God. So just seeing things in this life turning out in a way that brings a smile to your face, as we mentioned before, that is not what the Lord means for his people. To have it's the fullness of their hungry soul. Rest in who your God is. Rest in how you know your God to be. Rest in his character. Rest in confidence that every providential care that he extends to you is going to be to you satisfying whether you understand it or not. Praise him. Plead to him. Rest in him. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, now we would pray that you will bless your word. Pray that you will allow it to be that which continues in our hearts and minds and draws us to yourself. Minister to us, we would pray, for Jesus' sake.